accompanied by a collective shaking of heads. Why not? I wondered. Because it has been hijacked by the extreme right, answered one woman. It represents racism and xenophobia, added another. We aren't allowed to be English. We are British. I asked whether we should celebrate our national identity more like the Welsh, Scots and Northern Irish, to which the whole room nodded in approval, not in a jingoistic nationalist kind of way, but in an understated English kind of way. It was a genteel, considered discussion of the virtues of Englishness and the erosion of our national patriotism. The last night of the proms is as patriotic as we get, explained another member of the group. But that patriotism is about the union. Here England was speaking. We have a solid idea of what it is to be English. We have a grasp of some of the character traits of living Englishly. But we no longer celebrate that Englishness. I asked if it was time to reclaim our national identity and take pride in being English. There was a round of applause. Reclaim the celebration of Englishness for us, Ben. And that is what this book is about. Introduction Living Englishly I am standing at the top of a vertiginous hill. When I say vertiginous, I mean the gradient is 1-1 in places, so steep you can't stand up. A damp mizzle has descended on the valley, coating the grass in a greasy layer of moisture that has in turn soaked into the soil, turning it into an oily runway of mud. It is the kind of mizzle that soaks you unknowingly. It has a stealthy ability to drench clothes, hair and skin before you have even noticed. Large drips of rain begin to fall from the peak of my flat cap, worn in a hopeless attempt to keep a low profile. My heart leaps and my stomach lurches as I take in the contours of the steep hill. On this spring bank holiday Monday, hundreds of people are streaming across the fields below, yomping along the narrow footpaths that bisect the fields. Next to me, a German from Hamburg is busy fitting a mouthguard to his teeth, while a New Zealand rugby player is shoving shin pads down his long socks. Along the brow of the hill, flagged by a simple plastic fence, are a further dozen nervous-looking faces from across the globe, who have descended on this damp Gloucestershire hill for arguably one of the most famous eccentric sporting events in the world, the annual Cooper's Hill cheese rolling. To paraphrase one social commentator, it involves 20 young men chasing a cheese off a cliff and tumbling 200 yards to the bottom, where they are scraped up by paramedics and packed off to hospital. Which is about right. The steepness of the hill, combined with the undulations and the enthusiastic adrenaline of young men being cheered on by a crowd of thousands of spectators, leads to broken legs, arms, necks, ribs and even backs as a handful of brave souls chase a nine-pound double Gloucester cheese downhill at 70 miles per hour.
Why they started doing it, nobody really knows, although there are theories. The most colourful is that it has pagan origins. The start of the new year, spring, was celebrated by rolling burning brushwood down hills to represent rebirth and to encourage a good harvest. To enhance this, the master of ceremonies also scattered buns, biscuits and sweets at the top of the hill. Cheese rolling is said to have developed from these rituals, although the earliest record of it dates back only to 1826. During rationing, during and after the Second World War, a wooden cheese was used, with a small triangle of actual cheese inserted into a notch in the wood. In 1993, 15 people were injured, four seriously, and in 2011, a crisis hit when the cheese rolling was cancelled after the local council decided to try to...